What's happening? It's the Anna Gustavo. It's the Anna Gustavo podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll see something uh, you don't actually see too often on uh, associated with me and YouTube in the same frame. It's a bass with four strings on it. Doesn't have my name on it. it has Leo Fender's name on it. We're going to get to all of that mess shortly. It's been quite the week uh, when it comes to basses and instruments and signature this and. Uh, YouTube comments that been super interesting to see that whole side of things unfold with the with the latest video I posted on the main channel talking about the signature Federa, the Matteson and uh, and the new F base quite the uh, quite the comment I mean just an explosion of interest which is amazing and people subbing to the channel that sort of blew me away comments coming in like a like it was going out of fashion i think we hit almost 900 comments on one video that's definitely a new record for me in my minor corner of the internet um so i really appreciate people getting involved in the conversation and uh, there were you know it was pretty varied it wasn't um wasn't all love it wasn't all hate uh it wasn't all just unsolicited opinions although there was a lot of that um pretty amazing to me the mentality that goes into like commenting on a YouTube video. I haven't done that myself that that much in the past, very few times. Normally it's been like, you know, Hey, love what it is or something. You know, if I, you know, didn't really like something, I'd probably, I just wouldn't bother, you know, like there's plenty of crap. We you know there's plenty of crap on YouTube. So like, why bother be negative about it? Not that negative comments are, uh, any sort of barrier to me, doing more stuff in the future at all it was just incredibly interesting to see it all unfold and for the most part it was we're talking like 90 something percent uh constructive uh, even if it wasn't love or positivity uh it was definitely constructive and a conversation ensued which was really what i wanted to happen anyway i wanted people to ask questions and you guys did and that was fantastic and i was able to answer them as best i could and um things that maybe the video hadn't covered or people didn't really get from the video i was able to fill in some blanks which is awesome i think that's what the comments are all about on youtube i think that's a, a great part of it I, I can't make well i could i could make hour-long videos like that full-on documentaries it'd take way longer and it'd probably be way more boring and less engaging and it wouldn't help me get where i'm going with the youtube channel either <clears throat> so they they will stay around the nine to 13 minute mark whatever that is uh, whatever they end up being it's a, a shitload of work i gotta tell you i'm not sure how sustainable it is to do 
I'm thinking more about the video that's coming out on Monday, that's coming out tomorrow, that's been probably more work than almost any other video I've put on YouTube. And I'm still not done shooting it even. I'm, I'm like almost done with the edit, but I've still got to shoot more stuff. So I'm not sure how sustainable that level of production is. I'm going to try my best because it's also a ton of fun. I'm learning a lot of stuff and um, it's teaching me a lot of things, not just about youtube or about uh music but about discipline again I, I talked a little bit about how the daily vlog was kind of that for me uh five years ago and it taught me discipline and it taught me skills and i'm kind of developing those skills again shall we say and trying to um trying to improve upon them and deliver a, a compelling 10 minutes of of uh of filmmaking i guess at the end of the day of the day that's what it is tomorrow's video tomorrow's film if you will is all about the balance between using single pedals, stomp boxes, and multi-effects, something that uh, I came from very much from one direction on, from you know stomp boxes and using individual pedals. And, of course, the technology not being so advanced when I started out with pedals, uh, yes, that some years ago, too many years to even want to think about, um, and how... You know how it's been almost um, it, how it'd be impossible for me to do what I do now without multi effects. So I talk about that in the video. It's um, there's a lot going on in it. I dive through my archives to find all this incredible crazy footage I forgot I even had from some gigs and studio sessions and all kinds of stuff and tell the story. I think that's the one skill I'm trying to work on the most is storytelling and improving that side, my writing side, when it comes to words. So that has all been super positive over the past few weeks with trying to. Um, do this do the youtube thing again but really do it to where it makes sense so I, I definitely want to get to some of the it's nice to be able to talk about it in this sort of long form rather than writing comments first thing i was totally crazy to commit to answering every comment for the first two weeks of a video being up um i've really got to stick to like 48 hours or something and i've really i read every single comment and i've replied to every single question it's kind of hard to reply to a comment if there's no question there it's definitely kind of hard to just reply to a comment because i'm not really sure to, to say like hey cool thanks you know um so that side of things is developing uh there was there were a lot of comments and uh i don't know who they come from or who these people are quite a lot of them are faceless when you click on their channels there's nothing there so you really have no um no context as to who this person is or where they're coming from whether they're a casual fan of music or of me or, or bass or whatever it is or whether they're a professional musician or it is very weird to have a sort of faceless conversation with someone um because it's hard to you know when someone's in the room and you can ask them questions and go back and forth it's so much more rewarding for both sides i think and that's one thing that is falls very short with uh, with the with the YouTube comments section. Uh, so it was tough answering some of them. There were some really like stupid ones. I always say there's no such thing as a stupid question, but there were some very stupid um, comments, just pointless. Like really, like well, did you really have to spend time in your day to say that? Some like total bullshit. Um, so that was, and but then there were some like terrible comments that were that genuinely made me laugh out loud because of how um, sort of uninformed it was like it's whenever it's amazing right like if it, it would be like me trying to i don't want to i don't want to compare myself to i don't want this to sound like it's an ego thing but let's just say uh objectively i've just at least i've just been doing this a long time so i have 
some amount of experience. Whether I'm good or bad at what I do, that's all subjective. That's that's for you to decide. I love what I do. Um, I enjoy learning, and I know I'm constantly improving. So from that standpoint, I can very comfortably sit here and say, hey, I do actually know quite a few things about what I do. And I consider myself to have like a foundation of knowledge, like history of the music, uh, about the instrument, the, just the, the basics. I have a, a really solid foundation of that, even if it's just from being around for 30 years. You know what I mean? Um, I, don't have a, I don't have a high school diploma. But let's face it. I didn't graduate high school, college, no master's, no PhD, none of that stuff. So I, could, I can't cite the fact that I'm like a PhD in music theory or, uh, I, you know, I didn't study to be a luthier. So I don't know about the instrument from a very uh, studied uh, standpoint. But let's just say I have a basic foundation of it so maybe i would compare myself to someone who's let's just say qualified as a doctor they've they've gone through school they've done their residency they don't have a specialty they're not a brain surgeon they're not like dropping new hearts into patients and running down the street and sewing on a, a foot and you know they're not that mega mega star they're not the marcus miller or the um or, or the stanley clark or victor wooten of 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 the of the of the, of the hospital um they're regular, regular person. So let's let's say I compare myself to that for the argument of this analogy, for the sake of this analogy. And the, some of these comments were like, were, were as if now I, I compare myself to someone with medical training because I have zero medical training. And it, were, it some of these comments were like people with zero information or experience with music or the bass or whatever. What you know, in in kind of my world, coming up and and talking to me as though I was telling a doctor like which medication to give for for some ailment that someone had come into the hospital for it was very interesting and how people feel i don't know emboldened or really like confident from behind an anonymous uh username screen name that's been very not that i didn't know this existed before of course i know this existed before it's the internet it's been around a while now it's not it, it didn't just show up last week i, I knew this deep 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 down and with a lot of experience with it as well uh, but when it's that intense and that focused and, and about a specific 10-minute piece of material or, the, or whatever it was, 12-minute piece of material, the video that I put up, it really compounds the uh, how, how big the range of people watching are. You know, it really makes you think about that and like, oh, then you have to figure out, okay, how do I respond to that? Do I even respond to that? There are like all those questions you ask yourself. And at the same time, you try not to get you know, despondent or put off or uh, angry with it or, you know, it's, it's very, it could be very easy to get upset or hurt, I would imagine, when someone leaves you a negative comment or says something you're like, holy shit, you don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> you know? Like, um, so there, were, there was definitely a little bit of that. So that was an eye-opener. That's something I have to learn to uh, just absorb and, and also learn, you know, it's not, not exactly picking, know what battles to pick, but know what comments to reply to and when to leave something alone and be like, oh, okay, so you don't just, you, you basically don't get it and that, that's okay, that's fine. Um, I'm not sure why people so obviously don't get it but still feel the need to reach out. I still can't put that together for myself yet. But really interesting to to start to understand what to get into and whatnot. And then some, like, like I said, for the most part, 90 something percent part of it was just great feedback. Some people being really nice about the video. Okay. I have to take that at the same way I do the negative stuff. It's just like, okay, that's, if you feel that way, 
that's great. That's for you to feel that way. It doesn't, that's not going to change how I feel about myself. I think that's a huge lesson there I had to learn some time ago. It's like, do I just go in search of the positive comments and get that, get that dopamine hit or whatever it is that those, that, that elation that those things give you and then get crushed by the negative comments? Or do I just understand that I'm where I am and I'm very centered and I love what I do and I'm going to keep putting up the videos or keep doing the work in whichever lane it is, regardless of what other people think. You've heard me go on like, a. Oh, this is a great thing. We're going to go tangent to tangent to tangent here. I'm sorry. We are going to circle around. We are going to talk about YouTube. We're going to talk about goals. We're going to talk about all kinds of things in this podcast. But also, before I say anything else, uh, thank you so much for, I think, the 280 or 300 people that are already subscribed to the YouTube podcast channel. I set up separate channels to really put everything where they belong. The main channel for the big videos that I put out way less, but do more work on. The podcast that comes out every Sunday morning and then the Clips channel where I, you know, clip stuff from the podcast or from other videos or just make dedicated shorter form videos with less heavy production in them uh, to put them in clips to put them in a place where people might want a short hit of information and maybe we can get a library going there and categorize things and there'll be pedal things and gear things and music things and theory things all kinds of stuff so um, thank you to everyone who has subscribed to the other channels if you're watching on youtube now uh, I really hope you consider hitting the like button. That really helps with the algorithm and subscribing to the channel um, in order to get this channel monetized. And this is a huge thing I want to talk about from the comments from that last video. Um, in order to get the channel monetized, you have to have a thousand subscribers and 4,000 watch hours. So people have to have watched your videos collectively for 4,000 hours total. Now that's not crazy. I think on my main channel, I have sort of 200,000 watch hours or something over the, over the years. And, this month has been an extra special month because I've been really paying attention and making uh, making high quality videos and apparently engaging tens of thousands more people than I normally do. That's been really an amazing response. Can't can't thank you enough for that. Um, even my main channel has over fifteen thousand watch hours just already in this month. So it's not a crazy thing to do. And if just a thousand people subscribe to this channel on YouTube and watched the podcast for one month just one hour each sunday that would be it in four weeks we could monetize the channel and let's talk about that for a second because there are a lot of things um that's been a, a little bit of a common thread and some feedback i've got is like oh well guizdala doing this you know asking 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 and then uh, there was one comment that was like oh he's just trying to crowdfund a new wall base so if you haven't seen the video check it out it's 12 minutes of your time um it, I think it's a cool story. It's one of the most asked questions I had over the past years of my journey with bassism, why I left for there, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the things I said in it, my pitch for the channel was, hey, like the video. That really helps push it out to more people. So comment on it. I'm committing to answering all your questions and, and reading all your comments and subscribe to the channel. And I hit. A, I set a goal. I haven't hit it. Sorry. I set the goal of getting to 100,000 subs on the main channel by April. We're now, uh, we, we were, I started at 60, eight um when i started this goal and we're already up at 71 and a half or something like that we've added a few thousand people in the first 10 or 12 days which is amazing and i said you know the 100k thing is just like a stopover on the way to a million i'd really like to get to a million subscribers on that channel for a multitude of reasons now you've heard me say this before it's because I want to go out and play live. It's not because I want to make money on YouTube. The money, even though I've just told you how I'm planning on monetizing this podcast channel, the, the money's not the focus. The money helps with 
making better productions on YouTube. It's not like I'm doing YouTube to pay rent or to buy diapers or for, for basic everyday life. No, that's my, my life is, is fine like that. Um, what I don't have is bundles of cash lying around to be able to make bigger and better productions, to be able to bring in bigger and better guests for the podcast, for instance. And it's not like I can generate some, like, I can't like double my income or something from YouTube. I mean, without getting to a million and even at a million subscribers, there's no guarantee that that will, that will equate to revenue. So the idea of, of, anyone saying that is, is is a little bit absurd to me it's absurd to me because i know what's going on maybe from the outside it looks a bit weird and people commented like oh he's just he's trying that the whole thing about crowdfunding the wall base because i said okay maybe because there was so much love for wall bases i talked about wall bases being my very first ever custom base that was made for me thanks to lawrence cottle introducing me to pete the fish at wall bases in 97 i want to say I'd also, I told a little bit of a story in the video about, I'm telling you the whole story here. Um, I told a little story about finding a wall base, a four-string fretless in a junk store in uh, Scotland years ago, uh, 96. I think that was when I got my first, first wall base. But that was a used one, an old one. And I, there were so many people, like the love for wall bases in the comments was extreme. I've really, really, it made me smile so much to see that. I really do love their instruments. And um and a lot of people were like, oh, I found one too. And then I regret selling it. And we all regretted selling our bases. And in the video, I said, hey, maybe when I get to a million subscribers, I'll get a wall. And it was like, that was just for me, maybe as a celebratory, you know, like I'm sure when my daughter graduates from high school, I'm going to get her a gift. Or when something big happens, you celebrate a little bit. And it was just as a goal, like a common thread of, hey, there are a lot of bass players that watch the channel. I'm sure they'd be interested in that. My journey was from Wall. It went through Federa and Mattis, and I'm now with F-Bass, or what not with. I now play in F-Bass, amongst others. But maybe come full circle and close the loop there and get a wall and have a wall in my studio. So that wasn't about getting to a million subscribers to make a bunch of money in order to buy a bass. And it was amazing that people got there with that. Had Really, the motivation was, was not for that at all. It was just, you know, people set goals and people set themselves... Um, maybe a, a reward for that goal and for me i was really yeah of course i'd love the bass and i'd love to play it i'm not sure how much i would play it i don't know how applicable that is to my music anymore i was thinking about oh well this will be great to make of this will be a great story this will be like here we are starting kind of my reboot of the youtube channel and the biggest video so far number video number two into this journey is about bases and i mentioned the wall and talked about it and shared pictures and all this It'd be a nice uh, goal to collectively set with the channel. And no, I'm not asking for you to pay for it. Actually, the only thing I was asking for was for you guys to subscribe and like to the channel, uh, like the channel, which is completely free. And I was trying to give back by committing to answering the questions and reading the comments and really committing to making better quality films uh, moving forward. It's like something I really love to do. And, you know, all, all the research i'm doing and the work i'm doing on it i'd love to have a second a second nice camera for the podcast so we could do a two camera interview setup you know there are so many great musicians i want to bring here to my studio have them sit on the couch i used to do that like 10 years ago there are old videos with brian bella and tim lefave and sean hurley and adrian farad and all these people that i had come to the house and sit on the old leather couch and do interviews i'd love to do that again but make it something that's really pleasant for you to watch and and something where you can see some detail and when we hold a pedal up to the to the thing you can actually see oh what's that what's going on and we can 
really communicate, I think. So if ever there was any money to be made from these channels, it's something, and this is something I, I hear Mr. Beast, you know, the most popular and successful YouTuber right now as of the making of this video in January 2023. Um, I hear him say all he's ever done is earn money and invest it back into his YouTube channel. And he's able to do all these other amazing things, philanthropy, and he's able to really help people out all over the place. So, you know, there is an element of that to it as well. If I could ever get to that kind of stage where I could provide instruments or some sort of support to someone going to school, start a fund or like anything like that. And really, I think when you hit a million subscribers and go beyond that, some doors start to open and you're able to do some good for other people. You're able to open more doors. I would be able to open more doors for myself in terms of touring and bringing my music live to you. So that's a very circuitous way of saying you know, I'm not trying to crowdfund a new wall by asking you guys and girls to subscribe to the channel. Not at all. Uh, that would be very much on my own dollar. And um, yeah, you know, there and, and the wall thing, it's I, whatever I, I, I heard. I, I Somebody told me. I'm trying to think who this is. Somebody that really knew said there was something. Maybe at number one, they're not even taking orders anymore. And number two, maybe there's a five year waiting list for them. I mean, they got really popular again, if that's the case. And um, I think, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, maybe I should do an anti-base buying campaign. Maybe I should call this, maybe I should call this episode of the podcast, I'm not buying a wall, <laughs> just to hammer it home. So yeah, so there was, there were some people commenting like that. I just wanted to address that in case anybody might be listening to this podcast. I doubt it. The podcast is the smaller audience for sure. The podcast channel will be the smaller channel, but I'd love to do something higher quality for you guys. I really like the way the audio is going down now and I've had some great feedback on that. I know it's very clear. Um, the bass, I was finally playing some bass up front in the, in the episode. And... Yeah, my phone is on vibrate right next to a microphone and I should probably turn that off while still keeping an eye on my daughter who is mercifully sleeping. Do not disturb. Thank you very much. Um, so yeah, so let's get to some other elements. Uh, the, the wall thing, I really think I want to do something different. Um, and maybe you guys will get the sneak peek of this. Um, cause I did say, did I say, no, I didn't. I can't remember where I said it. I filmed so many different sequences and, 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 uh, scripts and stuff recently. I'm sort of losing track of it all, but suffice to say what I would love to do and what I think a really fun goal would be, obviously this would exclude some people because it's location specific and it's location specific because I'm from there. So you've guessed that it would happen in London. Maybe I've got, Hey, getting more ideas maybe i've got to set a different location for each goal that i set for the main channel how's that and maybe the million subscribers is for london that's where i'm from maybe two million we get uh, fans to decide and here's here's the idea it's a completely batshit crazy bonkers idea and i i think i can pull it off i really do um especially if the channel's at a million subscribers and I know that there's like a certain amount of ad revenue coming in, like that's where the revenue really, where I can reinvest it into 
into the music. That, that that's the most important thing. That's the very top of the the pyramid for me is the live music, live and recorded music, just making music. Period. Art. It's not content. It's not content creation. I'm not a fucking creator. I'm not part of the creator economy. It's the biggest buzz phrase, or at least it seems to be on YouTube right now. Music and art at the very top of the priority list for me. Maybe I'm out of date. Maybe uh, I don't know. But that's what does it for me. That's what makes me happiest. That's what I'm able to. Um, that's what I'm most motivated to improve. So any ad revenue that comes from YouTube really goes back, really directly into that. Um, I'm not out here like buying f- Ferraris and stuff. <laughs> I have no interest in that shit at all. Um, so the crazy idea, I'm not going to delay anymore, um, is to put on a, a show. And that show, I would love to, because you can do this apparently. I have been told, and it is said on their website, that you can hire, rent the Royal Albert Hall. I mean, you can do this with concert halls all over the world. This is what kind of makes it a, a cool thing maybe to do at different different goals for the youtube channel and have subscribers uh pick that maybe have some voting on it and some but iconic venues royal albert hall is an iconic venue you know like there are so many classic gigs there i think cream played their last show there there have been so many iconic shows at the royal albert hall and i think it would be kind of cool to play a gig with the trio there what an epic place to play with such an intimate um intimate ensemble um, but at the same time, put on a massive show, which is kind of what I'm going for with the trio. Um, I really want to get into creating a show. I want there to be visuals and uh, video and like all kinds of stuff, like really turn it into an experience and not just, oh, we're going to the jazz club and you're going to hear ting, ting, ding and play these tunes and oh, very nice solo and everyone goes home. I want it to be something, you know, the the best shows I've seen are like, I keep thinking about them afterwards. I want to go, but I'm like, I make a note. I set myself a reminder. I subscribe to a newsletter to let me know when that person is coming back to play again. And I'm well aware that just going and playing music, the three of us on the stage, as fun as that is and as great as an experience as, as that can be, um, I want to go beyond that, especially with the music I'm making. I think it's applicable to uh to mix that with with some visual stuff with some lighting with some sequencing with or like or just really make the most of what we can do as a trio and it'll probably mean traveling with two or three people to run all that stuff uh front of house and monitors and visuals and that kind of thing but that's kind of what i'm going for so the crazy idea is to rent the royal Albert hall it's not cheap let's face it but it's not as expensive as i thought it might be i thought you're like oh that's going to be a hundred thousand pounds or something two hundred thousand dollars not even close so it's definitely doable the place holds five or five and a half thousand people and in order to like make it not i don't want to be charging eighty dollars a ticket or something crazy or whatever people normally i want to make the ticket price crazy cheap so not only are we building the community and the fans on YouTube, an awareness of that, if we can really make this a goal. I have to research it and probably talk to a lawyer and a producer and all that kind of stuff. But if it's, if as I think it is, if it's possible and we could head towards that, it would be amazing to set the goal, hit a million subscribers and say, okay, within six, because you have to have some lead time, four to six months of hitting the million, the show's going to happen. And it doesn't even have to be a one-off show. It could be the the, the end of a big tour in Europe or something like that. Who knows? It doesn't have to be a one-off show, but the show is the payoff for growing the community that big. And in return, I want to, I, I don't think I could give away the tickets for free. I think that would be 
kind of a crazy unless the youtube channel really made that amount of money which i kind of don't think it ever will be base is a small niche after all but if you could imagine like 10 or 12 pounds 15 pounds or something like the the way on the cheaper side to go see a big show at the royal abbott hall if i can make them crazy cheap but sell it out it's kind of simple maths at the end of the day let's say the um let's say the the ticket price is 15 pounds and we do uh i don't know five thousand tickets that's almost sold out and if my maths isn't horrendous i would say that's seventy five thousand pounds um which I know the initial that <laughs> don't I know people are going to be like, well, shit, man, if it doesn't cost that much to to rent the place, then you're just going to pocket all this money. I'm aware that it doesn't cost that much. It's still a big number. It's still you know five figures, not in the lowest part of it. But it's you know is is let's just say it's less than twenty grand. Um, that's the figure I've seen to rent it. But then you have to have production. You have to have backline and lighting and sound and like all of those things are extra. So it ends up being kind of a crazy number at the end of the day. So if I could do 10 or 15 pounds, I'd love to do 10. Imagine that if we sold it out at 10 pounds a ticket, isn't that crazy? And I don't know what their cut is on the tickets. What, you know, there's, there's always going to be some bullshit on the back end where they're trying to hose you. It might be an, you know, they might charge you for the haul and then it's an 80 20 split. So 75 grand suddenly disappears and becomes what 80% of 75 is uh, 60. So then it's 60 to me and then less the 20 for the haul. That's 40, less another 10 for production. That's 30. It keeps like plummeting rather fast i'm sure i need insurance uh, i'm sure there's all kinds of things a ton of people i'd have to hire to do it i think they'll only do it if i use a promoter like an official promoter that does big shows don't think they'll let me independently produce that um but this is what i'm really trying to test the ceiling and and try and push through the ceiling of what's possible when you have a big following on youtube when you have a community of people who are actually really engaged in what you do and the subscribers actually equal people who will watch your stuff and listen to your stuff. And that's what I want to do. I don't want a million subscribers and get like 50,000 views on a video. That's not it to me. Like that's, what is that? Why do you want a million and, and, and get that little engagement? Now, I realized that I've had a YouTube channel since 2006. So a lot of people that have subscribed up until the 68,000 subscriber mark may have changed may have moved on may have no interest anymore so there are going to be some people in there that are kind of dead weights a little rude but perhaps not as engaged as a, as a true fan so it's it's just interesting it's something i'm passionate about because i love music so much and i love to make art and as much as i can make that the focus of my professional life i i will and that's uh that's where i'm at with it so i'm not trying to crowdfund a wall base uh I'm not trying to hose anyone or screw anyone over. I am trying to monetize the podcast channel and the clips channel because that all helps. And when we talk about monetization, it's not it's not life changing. I'm not MKBHD. I'm not Marcus Brownlee. I'm not Mr. Beast. I'm not PewDiePie. I'm not Dream. I'm not Airac. Uh, you know Tr Ryan Trey. I'm not any of these people that are the big you know 10 30 40 million views of video type of person i'm just me in this little corner niche of the base world doing what i love so i'm realistic about it. it's not like life-changing money and if it became life-changing money i'd be super transparent about it and 
you'd get a lot more in return for your uh, your subscription to the channel. Let me tell you, your free subscription to the channel, um, because I'd be able to do so much more, and I'd, I'd be able to. It's it's such, there are so many layers to it. I think that's what doesn't get talked about so much. For me, there's the family layer now as well. Um, so to justify leaving home and leaving my daughter, and to you know expect my wife to do so much extra work when I'm gone is a, is is unbelievable and a very unfeasible thing to ask of them. Um, so. Yeah, that takes more money. It's not just, oh, I'm going on the road and it's just me and I can deal with what I deal with. No, there's like a lot more people involved now and a lot more uh, very expensive circumstances. You know, my wife works, you know, when I'm gone, like we need childcare, we need all those things, like basic stuff, which I guess when you maybe work, a, a, when you don't have to travel so much, when you stay in town, regardless of what job you work, if you work kind of normal hours, whatever that is, nine to five or something, the, the the framework is a little more forgiving, shall we say, if, especially if there are two parents and maybe you don't have more than two kids. It, it's a little more doable, but the traveling thing just kills that. One parent being gone, me being gone too much is just not an option. So, like I said, it all helps. And, um, yeah, cannot reiterate this enough i'm not trying to crowdfund a wall base it just it's been making me laugh every day i think about it throughout the day i just think wow how did you think that you know do i come across as that much of an asshole <laughs> that's so bad i really hope i don't that, that would be that would be an awful thought um and speaking of of art and making music and uh, traveling but i was gonna say unfortunately but I, i'm i'm really excited to do it if we can pull it off uh for anyone who's listening in south america um it looks like we might be able to pull something off in the first week of august going to come down there and hopefully play in santiago in chile um in buenos aires maybe in montevideo i'm not sure i don't really have a connection there yet but the idea is to spend four days in the studio with juan pablo Alcarro, my my engineer in buenos aires and bring the trio bring tom and nico down there and spend four days in the studio making a new album. So August, try and play a few shows, make the new album, and uh, we'll, we'll play in Buenos Aires as well. Maybe at Thelonious or Cafe Berlin. I'm not sure yet. We're talking, you know, talking options right now, which is fantastic. Um, trying to make it all work out and and really and make some beautiful music. Hopefully, you know, really, I'm itching to get back in the studio after last year in Spain. It was for me the most successful project. Uh, most successful album all round, but sp more, most importantly, musically, it was uh, the most satisfying thing I'd ever done as a band leader. So I want to keep on that. I, I don't want to let that fall by the wayside. In fact, I want to do way more of it. I don't particularly want to have to travel super far <laughs> like this to make it happen, but this actually, this time around, makes a lot of sense with where everyone's at and the kind of thing I want to do and who I, more importantly, who I want to do it with. So, yeah, that look forward to that august that's what we're planning right now as well as the european tour coming up in november still don't have dates for it yet but that stuff that stuff just takes time um ooh, clunk and what, i know there's a ton of other stuff that i need to talk about but it's it's so hectic right now trying to trying to produce um trying to produce these short films it's really uh a lesson in what do you do i mean i've seen my vibe is just to get into it on the biggest scale possible so i just look at and research 
the biggest um the biggest filmmakers on youtube the biggest uh channels and like like i mentioned mr beast before and it's crazy how he, he in fact on he, he has a reacts channel where he just reacts to stuff and he actually did an uh, did a video where he reacted to all the videos they threw in the trash and spending tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars on making a video and then like they got to the one thing like crashing a car into a wall at 100 miles an hour or something some silly stunt and they got to the total payoff of the movie they finally crashed the car into the wall and the camera was out of focus they had one shot and the camera was out of focus and uh jimmy said as soon as he saw the shot he's just about oh, as done that is done and there are a couple of things i did on this on this new video that's supposed to come out on monday i really hope i get it finished <clears throat> that i just look at it i'm like oh you idiot like why even but there's one setting on the camera that's not quite right or this one tiny and and those little details when i'm trying to make the best video possible they really uh they bother the shit out of me so i'm really trying to give myself time you know when i put that first video out of this little run um of this reboot the three things i recommend for all bass players for their practice routine I was like, oh, Tuesday. I'll put out videos every Tuesday. And then the next one came with like a Wednesday or a Thursday. And now it's like eight, nine days later and I'm still not done. So I have to give myself that time. That's that's probably the toughest thing um, for me not to just be like, all right, let's just put it out there. You know, title has to be right. Thumbnail has to be right. The edit has to be right. The music has to be right. The sound design has to be right. The story has to be right. Like everything has to be right. Because I want it to do well. I don't want to... And, and as much as I don't, I was going to say I don't want to have wasted the time, but also um, as much as I don't want to waste time, if I feel it's not ready and it's not right to go out, I'm going to stick it in the trash. Maybe I'll keep it for two years from now where I can make a React video like, hey, this is something I made and it took weeks and, you know, it maybe wasn't as bad as I thought it was at the time because at the time I thought it was garbage, but let's take a look at it and here's, here are the reasons I didn't put it out, you know. So that's been... uh yeah, that's been some kind of some kind of ten days so far working on this, and four days of just trying to write a script, you know, and be better at that. And then, do I want to use a teleprompter? Do I not want to use a teleprompter? You know, what's the shot I'm going for? How's the lighting? You know, thankfully I have a professional filmmaker coming to the studio in a few days to um, sort out my setup and squeeze the most out of all this gear. I cannot wait for that. Um, and if you're in Louisiana, oh, I just remember because it's the day before I'm leaving with Bob. If you're in Louisiana, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, I'm playing with Bob at, uh, oh, I think it's called Chelsea's Garage. Is that the name of the place? You'll have to check me on that. It's on my website, yannickwistala.com. Uh, on the tour dates, it's the 2nd of February. 2nd of February, Baton Rouge, Louisiana with Bob Reynolds. I think it's for like the Jazz Society of Baton Rouge or something like that. We're going with Bob's band with Gene and Russ myself um just a one-off an out and back and it's interesting to think about traveling now i haven't traveled since the beginning of december so i've been home almost two months straight and i'm really i'm only going for one gig and then i don't go out until the end of march or 20th 21st of march with steve smith so <clears throat> gonna be home kind of a long time december january february like three and a half months i'll have been home and only played one gig out of town which is crazy for me normally um like I say in this new video coming up about pedals, I used to spend like the 2000s. I was on the road seven months of every year. And then I was in the studio most of the time when I was home. So <clears throat> times have definitely changed in that regard. But to think about doing YouTube stuff 
and producing videos and all that. I, it's going to be very interesting to figure out how I do that when I'm traveling. You know, I'm going to have to really time it well, maybe pre-make content ahead of pre-make of film ahead of time and uh, have it able to release while I'm out uh, or maybe concentrate on more on script writing and stuff like that <clears throat> while I'm gone. That's going to be really important. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm excited to get my writing better, to be able to tell a better story and to thread ideas together better and to really pace it so people understand it and not get too hyped. You know, oh, there were, there were, those were some comments like, why does he cut the video so fast? Like, why, why, why is every word on top of the other with every jump? Holy shit. It, then I know I'm, I'm hearing from somebody who's just my age or older. And then I know a hundred percent that they're just not, they didn't grow up with YouTube. They grew up with tr traditional legacy TV and film. And it's just not made like that. And YouTube is fast. Like this podcast is laid back and relaxed. I don't edit a single thing. It goes up as long form. I chop the crap off the front, off the end, put the little, you know, jingle in and that's it. That's all the editing I do. Um, I don't chop, unless something really goes wrong in the middle or I have to stop and go tend to my daughter. I don't do any editing with it. So it's nice and relaxed, laid back. You can listen, you can watch, whatever you like. But actually making films for YouTube, it's crazy. And now, of course, I'm watching, I'm listening to editing podcasts and watching videos from this guy, Helio, who does all Beasts and Logan Paul stuff. And uh, it's really interesting when they talk to traditional <coughs> filmmakers and filmmakers like, hey, so Will, Reg, could you put the Joker or, or inception or something on youtube and they're like yeah but you'd have to make it uh half as long you'd have to cut the thing super fast you know because people just won't watch it it's like the commitment right to get up uh from a movie like you go to the theater movie theater i don't know if anyone's done that <laughs> lately i haven't done it for a long time but if you go you spend money you sit down and you see you got your popcorn and you whatever and you sit there and the movie starts and now even if you don't like that movie, to get up and leave a movie really takes something, I think. You know, like, yeah, you're there, like, oh, shit, it's not as great as I thought it was. Well, whatever, I'm here, I'll just stay. There's none of that with YouTube. The, the nanosecond that you are not entertained and that you, there's something else right there. It's kind of like sitting in the movie theater with a remote could you imagine that <laughs> and just having access to every movie ever just bam and uh, instead of having a remote you just have it on scroll and there's just like bright pictures and thumbnails and titles to to take you away um from you know and it's just that you, you even if you're watching full screen and you don't have all the suggested videos or, or whatever like the second you get bored you're thinking about eh, it's time i need to go watch something else and that happens in a split second so for all the people who like don't like the jump cuts and how fast-paced it is, well, I'm not really sorry because I'm, what I'm not going to do is cater to the past. I think that's a really bad mistake that people make. I think that's, that gets lumped in with people who play for their audience in the studio. Big mistake. got to play for yourself, otherwise you won't be honest. Don't play for what people think or what you think people want you to do. Do what you want to do and then see if they like it. Um, and if you build up trust by always being honest and doing what you do, uh, they'll like it. You know, and if they don't, it doesn't matter. You know, it never matters what other people think. 
And I think a lot of people confuse with me with somebody who gives a fuck as well. I just don't, which is uh, sometimes very detrimental to my career. Um, but it, like, I cannot tell you how, um, how much of an incredible foundation that has put in my self confidence, in my um, ability to have willpower, and in my curiosity. It's just, yeah, not caring what other people think is, is, is really huge. Um, I think getting off social media is, was, I've talked about that so much. I know, but I always come back to that. Uh, Of course it's very fresh. It's happened recently. And I keep coming back to like, wow, I'm not wasting any time on this shit. I'm not, I'm not reading or having other people's input and their opinions about me at all. Isn't there are no distractions. It was the same with base forums. I've never, I don't, have I been on a gear forum specifically? I'm not sure. Probably. I've probably read an article or something there. I've never like just trolled through forums like that. Like Reddit seems to be like that. <coughs> just endless amounts, endless streams of information that you could get lost in forever. And when I, I got, to be honest, when I search for for a solution for something, more often than not, uh, Reddit pops up as a as an answer because there apparently there is so much incredible information there. So in that sense, I've used it. Uh, it has shown up in a search engine in a, in a, as a search result, and I've been to the site. But I've never, I, I have, of course, I've seen it and uh, I've seen posts there, and there's gear and all kinds of it's, it's just so much stuff. But it is such a time suck unless you want something specific. You know, I, I don't really have time for the conversation in nine different places. So yeah, but base forums especially are just oh my god, the cesspools for mediocrity and and misunderstanding. There's no nuance, right? There's there are just people who they know, and that's it. They know. It's crazy how those people are never people you've ever seen on a gig in your life. <laughs> That's always the funny side f- for me when I see that. It's like, oh, and it's but it's the good thing is it's really easy to identify those people at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, those time sucks have been amazing not to be around, and yeah, it really gives me a, a sense of sort of clarity. You know, I get to. I get to hang out with people and talk to people that I really respect and I'm lucky to get into some situations where I meet new people that become those people in my life and I get to bounce ideas off them and likewise them off me and it's kind of a healthier, more in-person or if not in-person, more personal relationship-based approach to communication and to ideas and to development, um, which I think is way healthier if you can do that, either in-person or very personally um i'm actually really hoping uh um i've actually never met in person but but i've been on his podcast and we text now and um talk about being parents and stuff once in a while and we have some similar interests and similar musical taste marcus reuter i guess that's how you pronounce it in german i was on his podcast um uh, during the pandemic and he's going to be in Los Angeles with uh, Tony Levin huge hero of mine who I've only met once hey that'd be a nice maybe a nice opportunity to meet Tony again and maybe get to hang out briefly I don't want to it's always the worst though right when people are on tour and you're like 
ah, I don't want to talk to you, man, because I know what it's like to be on tour. And the, almost the last thing I want to do on tour is just to hang out and talk shop. So, but I think uh, it'd be really nice to have Marcus on my podcast. That he's a, I think he's a trained psychologist as well, which I gave him. It was, it was a nice conversation to have with him. He obviously thinks um, a lot about about life and music and art and the human condition and all of these things which are essential to what we do. It'd be nice to have a uh, an in-person conversation, sit him on the couch. Maybe I'll have a second camera by then. Oh, I have other cameras. They're just not as good. Maybe I'll set it up just for the fuck of it and uh, we'll get a nice interview happening. But that's what I'm talking about. It's nice to have conversations like that in person or to have the person's number where you feel like you can text them or they can text you or call. You know, I have that with Benny Greb and I haven't spoken to him in a couple of months. There's somebody on my call list coming up because we very good friends and we have a lot of uh, a lot of things in common that we like to think about talk about and to do musically so that has been so important and to prioritize those things over all the noise <clears throat> oh man why can my voice never last <clears throat> the whole hour this is why i need a i need a guest more often so i can shut up with a guest i love having a guest i barely end up talking which is great because i'm so curious about what they have to say and their experience and sharing that with you guys it's uh to do an hour just into the mic on my own god i gotta give it to bill burr he's uh he's the master of that and so consistent with it as well Yeah, it's weird. I haven't played on the flats in a while. I've been playing a four string a little bit when I'm practicing, but I'm playing the Henrik Linder Matheson, which has rounds on it. Really nice bass. Wish it was closer. I'd play it for you guys a little bit, but <coughs> old um, tape wound flats on a P bass. Not the greatest slap sound. I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll fetch it to say. Oh, but I do love this bass and uh, I guess I'll, I'll close out with that because that was another thing of um, so many people had an opinion about the signature bass thing that's a whole <clears throat> maybe if you guys aren't too bored about it leave some comments I definitely give me some comments on this YouTube uh, on this um, podcast channel I'm totally into it I'll bundle that into my YouTube comments office hour timing and uh, and try and answer as many questions as I can I would really appreciate you guys spending the time um if you can like the video um leave it running in the background maybe put your kid to sleep with <laughs> anything if you can leave it running and watch all the way through it's pretty phenomenal the power of that retention is the name of the game on youtube but yeah um if you guys aren't bored of of hearing about bases and about signature things and deals and the business side there was a, there were so many comments about how people thought it was so financially motivated that my whole story was a, about a money grab or it was based around me not having, oh, that was it, not having enough control. People thought, oh, he, he was just pissed that he didn't have control. And it, it wasn't about that. So I didn't want control of anything. Um, I wanted the company to 
like take note of and again not Vinny or Joey <laughs> I keep saying that um, I wanted the, the management at the time to say to, to, to understand like what was going on you know and I was trying to convey the kinds of conversations I was having with fans that were based around hey this is too expensive for a bass or we love your music and we love the sound and we'd love to have something a little more accessible and even accessible would have been half the price which is still really expensive for most young players so it wasn't about money for me and it's an interesting world like the world of endorsements and what happens when you endorse a product and what happens when you have a, a, your name associated with a product and there were some very clued in comments I have to say like people were commenting on that, on that and they were saying hey you know signature instruments quite often artists don't even play their own signature instrument and then there's there's sort of in the middle and then there's absolutely you know if I think about let's think about some people who play maybe shit 10 minutes can I do this in 10 minutes <laughs> maybe I'll talk about it all now because <laughs> it's fresh in my brain there are people like you think of like Billy Sheehan and Nathan East like they actually play they're, they're exact you know when you go out and buy that instrument that's exactly what they're playing uh, I think Nate had this fancy thing made that I don't believe Yamaha are going to put into production but for the bulk of his career when you've seen Nate play like the, the white bass or, or one of his Yamaha um, signature instruments that really is what he plays it's not like he has this signature instrument with Yamaha and then he goes and plays a Fender in the studio when, when the cameras aren't rolling no he actually plays that that's one thing I've always sort of admired that he was able to I don't know get away with it sounds like he did something wrong but there is definitely um, a stigma that goes with playing a, a you know, bright six string bass uh, c considering the amount of records he does, you know, the, the, the Fender bass is the most recorded electric bass in history, probably because it's been around the long enough, uh, around the longest. And I think engineers just know what to do with it more than any other instrument. It's such an easy sound to fit in almost any mix. So to then be like one of the top, uh, studio musicians of the past, uh, I don't <laughs> I don't want to call him out for his age, but let's say many decades playing on records <coughs> that I bet he's forgotten about more than, than he remembers. Like there are just so many records and there he is playing a lot of it on a Yamaha six string bass. And I think he had a five and I'm, I'm sure he plays other instruments as well. Um, but that's a good example of somebody who has a signature, signature instrument with a company that, as you know, Yamaha, huge company, Nathan East, huge bass player in our, you know, albeit small niche little world. Um, that's a good example of somebody who plays the instrument that the company is selling. And it's not like a cheap knockoff thing. It's like, that's the one. It's not, it's not cheap. I don't think I have to research that. Uh, Patatucci was the same way for a long time, had a, signature bass you know we'll know the, the John Patitucci signature bass I think it was the orange one right I can't remember I've actually played with him a couple of times when he's been playing that instrument but since then he got the big the, like the the hollow body thing so which they don't make uh, but it also I don't think it's a signature bass that they advertise I'm not I'm not because it's not in production I don't think it's a signature anyway let's say Billy Sheehan um uh, 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 Nathan East God I'm losing it I'm really losing it um, I think even I think Sean Hurley has a signature Fender as well right and I'm pretty sure he plays that a lot but let's talk about visible people like the the, the old older older generation the older crew Nate and uh, and uh, and those guys that's a really good example of that now 
Look at what Marcus Miller did with Sire bases. Um, <clears throat> that were how big was that deal when it happened? That was huge. All you heard about was Sire bases. I gotta say, I played one a few years ago when I was down in Chile, and my friend, um, my friend at the slap store, the base store down there, and uh, David's store, and I thought it sounded great. I played it. I was like, wow, feels really good. And it was like four hundred bucks. It was like really cheap. I was like, wow, great. But does Marcus? No, of course he doesn't play that bass the whole time. Like every time I saw him after that, every time I saw him play live or saw videos of him, he had the sire bass on a stand on the stage and he played it for a song. You know, maybe that was part of the deal. But this is all, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying it's a, an example of someone huge who is Marcus Miller. We all know him for the, for this 70s jazz bass that, you know, the color, the everything, the sound, that's his thing, right? And I know for a fact <laughs> he bought two of my bases. So I know, and I just know for a fact talking to his guy that Marcus has a lot of instruments. And I've seen him play a Federa, fretless, and all kinds of things over the years. Um, but that's a good example of a real legend who um, has a signature instrument with a company like Sire, and that's not his main bass. And then let's see if I can think of. Shit. Oh, how about Flea, for instance? There's a mega star of the bass world. And um, I'm pretty sure he did his signature bass, but the, the, the really colorful one was meant to be, I think this was, I, I, I really don't want to get this wrong, but, and you just fact check me. I'm just I'm throwing it out there that this might not be a thousand percent accurate, but I want to say what I remember from it is that those bright colored bases, they were super cheap. I can't even remember who made them. Was it Music Man? I'm not sure. Um, I really don't want to be talking out of my ass here without the laptop in front of me doing research. But I want to say at the time, what I remember him talking about was he wanted to make the the price point way more accessible to young kids who wanted to play. So I think they made that range of instruments that were like attached to Flea's name. I think the Chili Peppers and Flea helping to promote that to to raise awareness of music to young kids i know flea has the school in silver lake he's always like giving back and doing amazing things for the community uh for the music community especially so maybe that's a good example of someone who plays i'm actually not sure what bass he plays probably several basses <coughs> actually what, what did california californication or um blood sugar sex magic one of those records was done on a wall uh, so he's played different bases through throughout his career. Let's just say that, um, but had a very recognizable brand going on, and that wasn't his main base, as far as I know. When he went out with the Chili Peppers, he wasn't playing like the entry level student model. So there are different uh, grades, different just different situations, different parameters for different companies, different people, and then of course on the back end, and something uh, something people were commenting about, like how connected my decisions were to finances like moving from one company to another was like a financial decision well i hate to break it to you but no <laughs> it wasn't i wasn't making uh any significant amounts of money from any of it did i have a percentage of units sold absolutely that's how most signature deals work that's the the payoff you know you get the instrument as a as an artist as a signature artist artist you get the instrument for free and um you know because of the company using your name to sell the instrument in return you negotiate some sort of commission i've seen everything from single digit percentages two three five percent up to ten percent uh can't remember hearing of numbers over ten percent on the sale of an instrument i think that's quite rare 
And I would hazard a guess that numbers would sit somewhere in the 5% royalty uh, payment on an instrument. That's, um, that's really just a guess, though. That's speaking from personal experience. I've had, I've had different numbers with different companies. I will say that. Um, and the, the, the move from Federa to Matheson, for instance, had nothing to do with money. Um, and there was um, there were comments that were like, well, it wasn't like those companies were coming to 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 me uh, to to ask me to make the signature instrument that I had to ask for them to do it. Actually, no, uh, <laughs> that wasn't how it happened either. You know, Federa were the ones that offered the signature instrument. I didn't ask for it. I never expected it. Like I said in the in the video, I was actually going through that build to just have a backup to my original because I was so happy with it. Um, so yeah, that was that was an inaccurate ob- observation as well. Um, and to go with Matheson, who was even smaller and had less marketing and less potential to sell instruments. He said it was just going smaller, smaller, smaller and making a cheaper instrument. So it, it definitely wasn't a financial improvement. And because of the small infrastructure and because of the high bar- high goals we set ourselves, our lofty goals to do all of these, you know, three different bases and CNC and handmade and these all these different price points – it just wasn't possible in the end. So that to leave the situation with Matheson also wasn't a financial one. It was, okay, we can't move forwards on this because his skill set and his strengths are not in creating this kind of huge uh, machine that we were trying to. His skill set and his strengths are doing what he does, making beautiful instruments and being mad scientist in the studio, in workshop rather, and producing great instruments and not doing that to any sort of mass scale um so that was my bad his bad that was our bad just we we had these dreams these ideas we thought you know the instrument was amazing like let's not let's not get it twisted the instrument was phenomenal his craftsmanship is you know world class that's why i went there and i had um been introduced to him by henrik linder um and he had said to me, you know, if ever, you know, the offer was made, like if ever you're thinking about making a switch, I'd love to make an instrument for you. So when I say in the video, oh, yeah, I called up Anders and said, hey, can you make some prototypes? That wasn't me asking for a signature base. That was him having extended the offer like, hey, I'd love to make you something. And we talked a bunch before just about ideas and pickups and all kinds of just stuff, nothing to do with, hey, you you know, me going to Matheson and doing this whole thing, that the whole situation came after the prototypes were made. I didn't go into it initially. I just went for a change. I went for a change of instrument. Kind of like I did with F-Bass now. You know, the thing with Matheson, it didn't work out. Okay, that's fine. It, it is what it is. Some things work, some things don't. You have to move on. You learn from the failures and you go forwards even stronger. And, you know, when I said... I, I wanted to just buy a base and not be attached to the business and the financial side of things. That's where I'm coming from. That's what I meant. I meant I didn't want to have to be thinking about price points and, you know, this, this CNC person is doing it and how does this base feel? Oh, that neck's shitty and we got to change this and that. Like, I'm sure if you ask Tosin Abasi, you know, Animals as Leaders, phenomenal guitar player, a friend of mine, Tosin Abasi, who has the, a guitar company, he was even talking about branching out into bass at one point. I got to call him about that. That'd be interesting. But I'm sure 
I bet my life on it that he has so many stories of the development of the instrument and how many things they had to go through money and production and prototypes and CNC here and move it over there and all that's not working out now so we got to put this fire out over here that was what I was trying to get away from you know I moved from Federa to Matheson because Federa weren't interested at the time in doing um, what made sense for me with my yeah in my orbit and with my fans and with the the, the direction I was going with with what I'm doing and then Matheson didn't work out for a bunch of reasons, none of them malicious, and we move on. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to back away from getting into business with someone, and I'm going to go to a luthier that I respect and have them build me a base. And this was the first time I really showcased anything about the F base, and I've had it for almost a year. So there was no pressure to blow up my social media with all that, um, you know, from F base. And uh, it feels great. You know, I love playing the instrument. I don't know if I mentioned this on the last podcast. I'm not sure I got the mixes by then or not, but the the new Steve Smith record. There are two halves to the record. There's like a very arranged and composed side, and then there's this like completely improvised side that we did with George Garzon for a day in the studio. And there are some moments on that side of the record where my bass sound is like I'm actually happy with it. It's one of the few times in my entire career that I'm happy with it in the studio. And not only am I happy with it, but I think it's the best I've been able to play and 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 hear my bass in a mix in my entire career. So that was what an amazing thing to to get to after all of that stuff I just talked about and all the ups and downs and the ins and outs and the questions and, uh, and all of that stuff. What an amazing place to get to! Um, so I'm happy to share that with you. Really happy to say that that's ultimately the result is net positive. It's just. Um, took a while to get there and i'm sure it will change and there will be things coming in and things going out and i'll you know i don't see myself like not playing this f bass <laughs> for a very long time like um it's a beautiful instrument it's what i'm traveling with it's what i'm recording with i think we'll take it to south america play on the new record um doing the steve smith tour on it just did the steve smith record i played a trio gig in new york which was super fun on it you know it's just part of my my thing now which is great um but like I played a little bit in this podcast, the, the P-Bass is always here. Um, the couple of four-string Mattisons are awesome. I wish we'd never sold the five-string prototype Madison. That was also such a nice instrument, but I understood that <clears throat> Anders needed to make some money back on his prototype, so ended up selling one of them. Somebody in Singapore has it. You lucky bastard, if you're listening, <laughs> I loved that bass, the PJ uh, pickup setup and five strings. Ah, it was a really nice instrument, but... Um, yeah, you lucky guy. I actually hand-delivered it to him in uh, L.A. after the NAMM show. I'm sorry that I do not remember your name, but I do remember meeting you and handing you off that bass. And if you're listening, you got a good one. And uh, if I have the money one day, I'll come find you and try and buy it back off you. <laughs> and not that I sold it to you, Anders sold it to you, but maybe I'll try and, try and get it back at some point. Um, so that's it. Hopefully that's a little information. If you didn't know on the inside you know workings of how signature models work and people get the instruments for free they get nice support from the company if there's the relationship is good get a percentage on the sale and everyone's deal works differently and people yeah people all have different different ways to approach it i've sh i've shared mine uh in 
actually way more detail now, I guess, in this podcast plus the video I put out. So if you haven't seen that, go check it out on the main channel. Uh, please, if you can, hit the like button. That really helps with the algorithm. And uh, leave me a comment. More importantly, it's great to comment. I will read them all. It's easier to read comments. I can read a thousand comments in, in an hour or something. Great. To reply to a thousand is, is questions is tough. But leave questions as well. I'm very happy to give back as much as I can. In return for the for the likes, the subscriptions, <clears throat> and the comments, they all help grow this stuff and ultimately help me come to wherever you are and play live music, which is the the ultimate goal. Um, so yeah, stay tuned for all those all those other YouTube related goals. Let's see, no crowdfunding wall base. Maybe we play at the Albert Hall. That would be really fun just to get everyone in a room and just rock out uh, and, and make a super fun show. And 100,000 subs on the main channel. I've got to figure something to do for that in April if we can do it. <clears throat> we got about 28,000 more to go. Um, let's see. I, I'm probably going to end up having to do something crazy to make that happen. But we got until the end of April to get to 100K. Let's do it. Um, and that's it. See you all. Uh, see you all on the next one.